Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Love, Joy, and Languages, a podcast about loving languages and finding joy in learning them. I am Heidi, the language-loving host of this show, and thanks so much for being here. Before I get started today, I want to remind you all that the season finale episode will be released on Monday, the 13th of February, 2023. And in that episode, I'm going to be sharing and celebrating your language learning wins. So please, please send me a DM on Instagram or Twitter. Let me know something you're really proud of in your languages. Anything you've done that just really made you excited and motivated about your languages, let me know and you'll get a shout out with your big win in the season two finale. So today's episode is of a new type because I have received my first request from a listener, which is really exciting. Talking about sharing wins, getting a listener question and requesting my thoughts on it, this is a little milestone in podcasting and that's a win for me. A listener reached out on Instagram and asked if I would do an episode on textbook learning versus real life. So that's what I'm diving into today. As you all know, I have experienced learning both Italian and German while living in countries where those languages are spoken, and I've also used language textbooks as well as taken textbook-based classes in each language while living in the countries. Instead of just putting these two learning methods side by side for a pros and cons comparison though, because I started doing that and it got rather boring, I'm going to highlight several things I like about textbook slash classroom learning and real world learning by being in the country where the language is spoken. Before I begin, I have to make sure I don't misrepresent my experiences or point of view. When talking about my real world experiences, learning languages in the countries where they're spoken, that's a bit of a mouthful but I'm decidedly refraining from using the word immersion here because I think the word immersion comes with a lot of preconceived notions and ideals for many people. I think using the word immersion implies being completely surrounded by a language all the time with no other choice than to use it. And I don't feel like my experiences represent that in the sense that I've never been completely or even mostly surrounded by Italian or German for an extended period of time. I haven't lived my life in those languages or felt the pressure to learn them for survival, even though I've lived in those countries for four years and a year and a half, respectively. There are immersive aspects of my experiences, of course, but I think full-on immersion is a level of language exposure that one can experience in a country, and in fact most people probably do, but that I don't feel I've experienced on a grand enough scale to talk about it with any level of authority. I still have a lot to say about language acquisition while living in the country, though. I just want to make sure my point of view is clear because I think it definitely differs from what people think of when they hear the word immersion. So with all that said, let's dig in. I'll start with something I really like about textbook learning, and it's even true for language courses, whether self-paced online programs or in classrooms, and that is the structured, linear progression of how the material is presented. Now, we all know language learning isn't linear, but language textbooks and courses really provide an outline or structure for how we can create a solid foundation in a language and build up from there. Textbook learning is often done in a very sequential fashion, and most of us probably know the order of the material by heart. But because of this structure, it can be easier for some people to stay focused on progression because what to learn is laid out for us. And for me, I really like this. I thrive when I'm given some sort of guide to help me focus, especially when I'm just starting out with a language. 
When it comes to grammar, the textbooks I've used do a really good job of presenting the most commonly used concepts first. Things like articles and gendered nouns, conjugating the verb to be in the present tense, how to form questions, broader present tense verb conjugations, and so on, are all things that I've encountered in beginner textbooks. And it's amazing how much conversation potential these basic grammar topics open up for us. When it comes to vocabulary, again, the textbooks I've used all start with a personalization of the language by giving us some vocabulary we might use to talk about ourselves and everyday activities we may encounter. Learning how to say, my name is, job titles, nationalities, family members, foods, hobbies, I like and I don't like, can be rather basic and boring. But in my experience, these topics are very useful for making connections with people. And that's my favorite thing about learning languages, communication and friendship. These are what bond me to a language and motivate me to learn more. Of course, the long vocabulary lists in textbooks don't always give us the exact words we need in order to talk about ourselves and our lives. I have a friend who works as an esthetician. That's not a job title I've ever found in a textbook. I like knitting and learning languages as hobbies, things not found in textbook vocab lists. At the grocery store, I shop for things like beets, radishes, sauerkraut, sage, thyme, rosemary, oat milk. Again, things not found in textbook vocab lists. I used to get frustrated by this because it felt very limiting. But at the same time, I also viewed resources as sort of an end-all be-all to languages. I used all resources as tools to give me words, to hand a language to me, instead of guides for exploring my own usage of the language. Now, I can see a textbook as an excellent guide to keep me focused on what I want and need to talk about. So when I reach the section on grocery store food, for example, I can choose to learn the vocabulary presented, or not, but I can definitely choose to use this section as a placeholder for the topic and then reach out to other resources, dictionaries or online tools, to learn what I want, the vocab that I know I would use. I can look at the list provided and learn what's useful for me, and then I can go to a dictionary or skip to a lesson further in the book and learn to say, I like, or even I would like, or I'm searching for, is there, where can one find? followed by beets, radishes, various spices, non-dairy milk, and so on. So textbook vocabulary can feel very limiting. And it is, of course, by nature, because there's only so much material that can be put in a book, and it makes sense for the chosen grammar and vocab to be those most commonly used. But when we view textbooks as guides, giving us a logical pathway for topics to learn, and each chapter represents a stopping point along the path where we can explore and dive deeper on our own using other material freely available online, for example, then I think we can find more value in textbooks and appreciate them as a foundation or gateway to a language instead of expecting them to teach us everything and being disappointed when we leave a book unable to talk about our own personal lives, something I'm definitely guilty of. And following this logical structure of language discovery as presented in textbooks, like I said, is really useful for building a language from the ground up. But there's something about learning a language in the country where it's spoken that I haven't experienced when textbook learning in this structured way. And it's that process in which the language comes to life. We start to experience the language unfolding around us and encounter the breadth of vocabulary that we desire. There are few things in language learning I find more exhilarating than when a language becomes alive around me. 
When we first moved to Italy, the language I heard just sounded like a bunch of sounds strung together in one long noise. But after just a few days, I could start to single out words in sentences I heard. I couldn't understand, but I could internally feel where one word stopped and another began, to the point where I could hear something said in a store or cafe and then open up Google Translate to see what that word meant, so I could distinguish that a word existed in this long string of noise. And as I learned more vocabulary this way, or by reading signs using Duolingo and a few months later taking my first Italian course, I started to hear meaningful words that I understood. From my perspective, the language around me had morphed from a long string of unintelligible noise to distinct sounds that I could identify as words to words that now had meaning. I will never forget the first time I sort of jokingly said, it's almost as if people have been speaking a language this whole time. I've never experienced this language unboxing sensation when learning through a textbook. Textbook learning skips the growth stage from background noise to distinction and goes straight to assigning meaning to words through translation from our native or other advanced language. Even beginner audio that comes with textbooks is often spoken slowly and clearly, so distinguishing where one word ends and another begins can come in the very beginning. And that's just something people don't do in the everyday speaking we encounter in the country. And as the language comes to life when we're surrounded by it, we start to learn so much broad vocabulary that's missing from textbooks, especially from beginner textbooks. In both Italy and Germany, I very quickly learned the words for beets and radishes and oat milk simply by going to the grocery store and seeing them over and over. In textbooks, we learned the words for bread, cake, cookies. But in the country, all it took for me was a few trips to the local baker, and I learned the words for all sorts of breads and pastries. Within a couple weeks, I could order the exact pastry or bread roll I wanted without pointing or even having to read the signs, simply by encountering the items so often. And then just walking through our town every morning, I learned the words for bakery, butcher, newspaper stand, paper and school supplies shops, shoe stores, hairdresser. I associated the words with the physical image of the shops in my own town, which personalized each of them in such a way that I didn't need to assign meaning through translation. Learning textbook vocabulary about rooms and household items is so boring and impersonal to me. But one trip to Ikea in a country where your language is spoken, and you'll walk away feeling like you could give a detailed tour of every room in your home in your new language. Another great example of learning detailed vocabulary is eating at a restaurant in the country of our languages. Menus aren't basic, right? So dining at restaurants gives a personalized experience for learning vocabulary of various cooking methods, baked, boiled, fried, marinated, for many different types of fish or meat. You know, menu items don't usually just say fish, the word we learn in textbooks. They'll say salmon, tuna, or cod. These experiences, from seeing the menu and maybe translating using an app and then ordering the food and eating the food, the entire experience and repetition of doing it again and again living in the country provides an amazing natural way to learn very detailed and very useful vocabulary not available in basic textbooks. And both methods are valid ways of learning, but I'm telling you there is something magical and absolutely thrilling about a language coming to life around you and learning words in this physical way by encountering them so often through lived experiences. But even as the language reveals itself naturally when living in the country, it's simultaneously frustrating to not quite be able to interact with it in the ways we want. 
So this is something else I really like about textbook learning, is the example and exercise sentences they give. It might sound silly to say because it's just a characteristic of textbooks, and example sentences are almost always bland, weird, or unrelatable, right? But when self-studying with a textbook or even doing textbook-related homework for a language course, examples and exercises provide a foundation of contextual understanding so that we can start interacting with the language from day one and work out the kinks of making mistakes in a low-stress, judgment-free space. I used to be the kind of person who focused only on getting everything right. Turning in a homework assignment in school brought so much anxiety because I hated the idea of the teacher finding a mistake, even worse if it was something I knew but had just written incorrectly in a momentary brain lapse. But working with a textbook, as I go through the exercises that are bland, weird, or unrelatable, I can safely make as many mistakes as it takes to get it right without stress or judgment. In a real-world conversation, when mistakes happen, we don't always have the space to work through them, you know? Maybe it's not a showstopper the other person understands anyway, and we can keep moving the conversation forward, hopefully making a mental note to go back and practice or review whatever it was we messed up. But maybe the other person corrects us, whether or not corrections are welcome. Or maybe they don't understand at all, and the conversation is embarrassingly derailed while we try to stressfully work through a different way of saying whatever it is we're trying to say. But working through textbook exercises, we don't encounter any of this. When we check our work and discover a mistake, we can take as much time as we need to figure out why we made the mistake, learn the correct answer, and dig into why it's correct if needed, and then try again. Like I mentioned before, when using a textbook as a guide, we can take what's presented in the examples, that's the guidepost, and we can make them less bland and more relatable on our own, doing our own exploration from that guidepost. Here's a real example from a book I'm currently using on Italian subjunctive. The example sentence, translated in English, of course, is, I thought that Julia had gone to the beach. It's a good enough example, and I understand all the grammatical pieces going on here, but before moving on to the exercises, I decided to practice producing my own personalized sentences in this judgment-free space of the textbook using the form, I thought, followed by a secondary phrase using the subjunctive, so this sentence is a guidepost along my pathway, and I'm stopping to explore the area. So I wrote things like, I thought you liked green beans, something I've actually said to my kids. Or, I thought this test was difficult, but you did well, something I've actually said to my daughter. Or, as a perfectionist, I thought that finishing a book was equal to making progress, something I've said on this show, something very personal to me. So I like these examples in textbooks. I really do. And coming up with useful sentences that are specific to things I know I talk about and using the vocabulary and grammar in the textbook is a great way to practice those real-world conversations without mistake anxiety. And this brings me to the next thing I like about learning a language in a place where it's spoken. Moving abroad, I quickly learned what conversations I would likely find myself in simply by finding myself in those conversations. In textbook style learning, it's easy to just try memorizing every word or verb tense that comes our way. If the words are worth printing, then it makes sense that they're worth learning. And what if I don't learn it and then I need it later? I'd better just memorize them all, right? Do you ever feel this way? But this isn't how we learn in the real world. Within 24 hours of being in Italy, I instinctively learned that food vocabulary was very important, also how to say things like, excuse me, 
I don't speak Italian. And is there a bathroom? Within the first few weeks, life experiences revealed the need for personal vocabulary like our nationality, birth dates, address, phone number, standard things for filling out school registration or other documents. Learning how to talk about our family was valuable. Things like why we were in Italy, how long we thought we'd be there, and so on were important for making connections with people we met. And along these same lines, learning to talk in the past tense was huge in the beginning. Meeting and making connections with people is so much easier if we can share experiences we've had and talk about things we've done or seen. In my Italian as a Second Language course, which was structured from the associated textbook, we didn't start learning any past tense until the second course, about five months into the entire curriculum. Yet by then, I had already started putting some of these linguistic pieces together by listening to others talk about their past experiences and starting to mimic their word structure. And again, I found even more value in food vocabulary, not just for grocery shopping or ordering at a restaurant, but specific things for making connections with people. It turns out most of my friendships are solidified by a shared love of food, especially international cuisine, and I find myself in a lot of conversations bonding over food experiences. So there's something really exciting about encountering language as it comes to us, or as our personal uses of the language emerge in front of us and guide us that way. So this is something I get so much joy out of living abroad. I find myself in similar conversations or situations so often that I can more easily pick and choose what vocabulary or grammar to focus on without stressing about needing to memorize an entire vocab list or every single grammar rule. But as I grow this sort of internal guide to the most useful conversational topics for my life situation, I've discovered that the people I spoke with in Italy, for example, weren't all from the area where we lived. I met and conversed with people in Italian who were from Lombardy, Piedmont, Tuscany, Sicily, or even broader, people from Tunisia, Albania, Romania, and Morocco, people with whom I only share Italian as a language. And even living in Germany now, I often find myself in Italian conversations with people from all over the world. And of course, the same can be said for German conversations. And being able to speak with and understand people from so many different backgrounds is wonderful. So something I'm very grateful for in these conversations is the standard language taught in textbooks and classrooms. Again, this may not sound very glamorous because, of course, there's a need for standard language to be taught. It's kind of a no-brainer. But let's just take a minute to appreciate the doors this opens for us. If I meet someone from southern Italy or Sicily, for example, we won't quite speak the same. We might use certain verbs in different ways, pronounce some words a bit differently, or use regional variations for other words. But because standard Italian is taught in textbooks and classrooms, we can have full conversations and understand each other. When I speak with my Tunisian friend in Italian, the only language we share, this conversation and consequently friendship is only made possible by standard Italian. So textbook and classroom learning being based on a standardized language gives us the ability to communicate with a much, much wider range of people. And in my opinion, this is a very beautiful thing because the standard language is really what brings us together. It's what unifies us in conversations. Now, this doesn't mean it's fail-proof, of course. I still had conversations with people in Italy where I didn't understand much. Between a variety of accents, use of dialect, and even regional differences in language, learning the standard language isn't always going to be there to save us. But that's one of the most exciting things about learning a language in a country where it's spoken. 
all the regional, dialect, and colloquial vocabulary we're exposed to. In the Veneto region of Italy, for example, I learned the northern Italian word for watermelon, which is different than the central Italian word that's often taught as the standard, and even that's different than the word for watermelon used in southern Italy. In WhatsApp groups for parents of my kids' school classes, I learned many words from the Venetian dialect, often dropped in chat when talking about food. In Germany, there are many different ways of greeting each other, depending on what part of the country you're in. And even though these are readily found online, none of the textbooks or courses I've used include them. But you pick up on them very quickly traveling around the country or meeting people from other states or regions. And as we find ourselves listening to the language around us and conversing in it casually with friends or neighbors, we start to pick up on the colloquial word usage and idiomatic phrases in a way that textbooks don't necessarily explain well, if at all. There are some words, like just filler words or adverbs or conjunctions, that are widely used in spoken language in a country or region, but that don't necessarily translate to English or other languages, or that don't have a one-to-one -one translation. A great example for me is the word allora in Italian. If you look up allora on Google Translate from Italian to English, it spits out then, therefore, now, at that time, in those days, in that case... On reverso, it translates to well, since, time, now, therefore, all right. But then for some of those English words, I'd already learned a different Italian word, like then is poi and therefore is quindi. Of course, I know that even in English, many of these words are synonymous, but this particular Italian word, allora, is used so often and in so many contexts very often as a starter word, when someone is starting to introduce a speech or a short discourse of sorts about to clarify or explain something, or just when changing topics. It's so common that my daughter in her first weeks of Italian preschool came home one day and said that she thought there was a girl in her class named Allora. She heard the teacher saying it all the time, especially at the beginning of sentences, and she couldn't make sense of it except to equate it with them trying to get a specific person's attention or directly tell a specific kid what to do. And of course, living in the country and literally hearing this word every day, over time, I started to understand how the word is used without feeling a need to translate it into English. I can hear it used and just instinctively understand its meaning. And even better, I can now accurately use it as a filler or starter word. So in my experience, living in a country where our learned language is spoken provides a unique linguistic counterpart to the standard language learned from textbooks. The ability to understand variations in accent and language usage, and also gaining an intuitive understanding of particular words and their vast assortment of meanings, is an amazing benefit of learning a language in the real world, whether it be living in the country, listening to podcasts, or watching TV in your new language. So I think this is a pretty good place to wrap things up for this topic today. Going into this, I assume that we all know that textbook learning isn't the same as learning a language in the real world, encountering the language as it's spoken in everyday conversations. And I know there's often a bias toward learning a language while living in the country, or even broader through natural or curated immersion, taking in all the target language content we can. But remember that there are advantages and frustrations with each learning method. There are so many benefits of learning the language from a textbook, from the structured curriculum to the examples for context to the broad standardization that allows us to communicate with people from all different backgrounds in that language, 
textbook learning has so much to offer, especially for those who really thrive on this type of learning. And learning a language while living in a country is amazing for discovering the language and seeing it come to life, intuitively knowing what vocabulary themes you need to focus on, and getting real contextual exposure to the most common words, different accents, regional variations, and dialects. As always, whatever way you learn, given your time, desires, or life situation, is valid and useful. And one of the best things we can do is find value in and extract everything we can from the resources we have access to. I want to give a very sincere thank you to my anonymous listener for reaching out to request this topic. I'm always open to questions from any listeners who are curious about my thoughts, perspectives, or experiences on anything language learning. I hope this episode shines some light on my variety of experiences and what I've been able to get out of both textbook learning and living in the country. With that, I wish you a wonderful week of joyful language learning. And until next time, ciao.